Morning, beloved. Good morning. Uh, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, if you would like to make your copy of Scripture ready. Galatians chapter 3. Um, and to kind of quickly catch us back up with where we're at as we've been going through this letter that Paul wrote as a missionary a couple thousand years ago um, to churches that he helped to start to plant around um, what we would call Turkey, but this region of Galatia. Um, what he has done is he's just shown us, like, the gospel is paramount. The gospel is good news that we are broken, wretched just rebellious sinners who have defied the creator as his creation, and yet that creator is gracious and loving. So much so that he took on the cost of our salvation. Jesus, the son of God, came, he set aside glory, came and became human like us, so fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life that we could not, and then he died the death that you and I deserve on a cross. And he's saying, I have done it for you. He's offering forgiveness and freedom, life everlasting if we will believe in him. And so he walks around with this invitation to follow me. And, and it all boils down to, like, what will you do with this Jesus? And this good news, this gospel, will you add to it that it's, it's really about obedience or is it really what Jesus said? Believe. These are the works of my father. This is, this is what you must do, Believe. And so is this a gospel of grace or is it a gospel of grace plus some works? Or what is it? And so you have this kind of tension here where people are trying to add to the gospel and say like, no, you need to actually become part of the ethnic Jewish family, the people of God. And so you need to be circumcised and they're these kind of signposts, if you will, like you need to observe Sabbath, you need to observe these festivals, these feasts and things like that. And so you need to become ethnic Jew like us, even though you don't have the DNA for it, but you know, that's what you need to do. And so Paul is coming in and saying, no, 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 no. Stop doing that. You're compromising on the gospel. We don't add to the gospel. Don't distort this. Don't warp it or anything like that. Our righteousness, our salvation comes by faith, not by the law. And so if you think the law, these rules, these things that are told to like obey these things, if that is how you're going to earn your salvation, look, you could never do it. You cannot be good enough. Paul's made the point. Like if you're gonna keep part of it, you gotta keep all of it. And now you know, like you just don't. And so this is the gospel, don't add to it. And so now this really begs the question for us, okay, then what is the point of the law? If you're saying you're not saved by the law, and like now you're emphatically saying, stop trying to add the law to the gospel, because that is not what's, what brought you to faith, it's not what's going to keep you in faith, stop doing that, then what is the point of the law? Like we really should wrestle with that question, and I think a lot of us culturally do. It's like, what do we do with so much of this Old Testament and these weird things? Like what do we do about that? Well, we wanna know the point of things. Um, there are pointless things, mind you. Um, the B team was asking this morning for the stickers. Mine would not stay on me, but pointless things. Like, what's the most pointless thing you've ever bought? And I just walking around, like, saw some of the, like, I love, I love the different things that we would throw money at and realize, why did I do that? I don't know. Um, but here's one of the most pointless things I've ever seen. Did you ever see the pre-peeled bananas? Yeah, pre-peeled bananas was a thing. You could get pre-peeled bananas in the grocery store which meant you had to then tear the plastic wrapper off. And like, wait, what? I don't know. Anyway, Galatians chapter three, let's go. I'm gonna get in trouble. Why then, this is verse 19. Why then was the law given? Man, I love how he asked the same questions we're asking. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. Do you want to know what is the purpose of the law? What's the point of the law? Is this just a pointless thing, like pre-peeled bananas, shrink-wrapped? No. 
Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions or sins until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. Wait, what? The law was given for sin? <laughs> until the promised seed which we have established was Jesus has come? What, what is that? And so here's the thing. What he's saying here is that the law shows us the problem. Do you know what the problem is? G.K. Chesterton is kind of famously known for his response when a reporter came to him. This is a prolific writer and a philosopher, theologian, and, and this reporter comes to him in the midst of all the insanity that is this world and humanity. So you think all of what we do to each other and just injustice, oppression, all of what has happened in these wars, everything, like the, the conflict that's just always around us and what we do, like you know your heart, you know my heart, like if everything we can look around and G.K. Chesterton, here's this question, like what is the problem? And he says, me. Like of all the things that we could point to, if someone comes to you and says, what's the problem in this world? What's the first thing on your list? Well, that political party. Well, no, that, that person, that regime, that whatever it is. Like, we are so quick to think like these things. But what if, what if we actually just, when we hear that question, saw a mirror? Like, I'm the problem. And this is what the law does. It shows us the problem is us. I am the problem. And if I am the problem, that means I cannot be the solution. I need a solution from beyond me, from outside of me. And so we keep going. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. And look, I want to be honest with you up front here. This has been debated for a very long time, and none of us know exactly what that means. Like, this is one of those fun things. So theolo theological nerds, like, geek out with me here. Like, let's, let's jump into that. But, but I don't want us to be confused by it to the point where we miss the, the argument that Paul is making here. What he's saying here, so read it again. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Who was that mediator? Moses. Moses went up on Sinai. He received these commands from God. He received the law and then mediated that, gave it then to the people. But is that the case with the promise of the seed? That in context is what we've been talking about. Who received that promise? Abraham. And it's a promise of Christ. And who gave that promise to Abraham? Was there a mediator? No. It was God himself. And so he's making this argument here that there's, there's a contrast to be seen. The law comes through angels to Moses as a mediator and then is given to the people of God, whereas the promise, the one of faith, the one that is where our salvation actually is found. Just belief. It's righteousness through faith. And so if that came straight from God, then shouldn't that certainly have priority? Now, this is not a mediated thing. God himself, straightforward, firsthand, gave us this promise. This must be paramount. And then he keeps going. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. So again, like, okay, what is the point of the law? You're saying don't add the law to the gospel. And then I need to ask, well, then what's the point of the law? And like, okay, well, the law actually showed you the problem is you and you need a salvation outside of yourself. You cannot do this. Okay, well, then wait. So the first promise is better than the second covenant. The, the promise of salvation by faith and the seed that's to come from Abraham is better than the covenant from Sinai, the, the Mosaic law. Then are the two at odds? Is this a divine contradiction? 
Like, was, was God in error? Like, did God make a mistake in giving us the law if the law actually cannot provide salvation and he wanted us to actually go back to that first promise and remember that one? No, he says, absolutely not, exclamation point. So now let's, let's unpack that. Here we go. He keeps going in the second half of 21. He says, for if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. Okay, well, so it shows me that righteousness does not come by keeping the law. So that's not in contradiction. That's actually supporting it. And then I keep going again. But the scripture in prison, everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. So it shows us that we were actually captive to sin. Here's this contrast he's drawing. Do you think of sin as imprisonment? If the law shows us that you're actually bound, you were enslaved to sin, you're in prison. Do you think of the sin in your life? Like it's actually got you in chains? Oh, often we don't. We actually, it's that whole Stockholm Syndrome idea. They go from being a hostage to it, like held at gunpoint, to suddenly like, oh, I sympathize so much. Like, I want to keep you around. And so we're like, ah, oh, we make light of our sin. And suddenly what is actually just complete treason or rebellion against God, suddenly in our minds and hearts has become just this innocent thing. It's just it's my personality. It's, it's this, it's that. And the law comes in and says, no, no, no. Absolutely not. You need to see that that is actually killing you. It has you in bondage. You're enslaved to that. And so if you are a captive, you need a rescuer. You need someone to come in and free you from captivity. And I'll just end this with saying, like, if you don't think that your sin has you enslaved, go ahead and try to stop. Tell me how that's going next week. Keep going. That sounds so sad, doesn't it? <laughs> Let's keep going. Verse 24. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. The law as a guardian. And in Greek, that, that word guardian is actually like a term that was used for an adult who would be hired to come into the house and manage the children. And so that person would come into the house and they were responsible for just like keeping the chaos at bay um, because you know how that goes with kids. But they're also tasked with like, give them some morals, like help them to know how to navigate this life. Like help them know what is appropriate behavior in different settings and all this stuff. And so the guardian is there to kind of like put that in check. But here's the thing about a guardian over a kid. How does that kid see the guardian? Like, you, uh, like you're, you're putting me in prison. Like I don't have freedom. And so do you see how that lines up? Like, wait, so the law shows me that I am actually a slave of sin. I'm not free because of sin. But then it also functions as this guardian because I'm like a little child. And so it needs to restrict me because I just don't know how to actually operate in the world. Like, yes. So it functions as all these things. This guardian restricts the freedom. So one day you can grow up and you will know what it is to actually operate in real freedom, to be an adult. And we know now today, this is the beauty of the gospel, the God with us, Jesus has come. And then as he's leaving or right before he leaves, he's telling us that he's gonna send his spirit and his spirit is gonna be with us. Jesus ascends saying, hello, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's never gonna leave us. His presence is with us. 
And so his law, his spirit, God himself, has written it now on our hearts, which is the promise of the new covenant. And so we have matured out of childhood and enslavement to sin and being under this guardian to now know God writing it on our hearts so that we can actually live in real freedom to operate in this way. And so here's the thing. We do not abandon the law and faith. Rather, we learn to rightly relate to it. In fancy technical jargon of theology, um, to abandon the law completely is called antinomianism. And that's heresy. So if you hear people say, like, well, the Old Testament has no place in our faith. No, they're wrong. It's actually all beautifully one story, and it's all pointing to Jesus. Every bit of the law is good. And so we are not bound by it because we do not find salvation in it. And so we are free. And yet, we don't just neglect it and forsake it. Instead, we learn to relate rightly to it that the law shows us what real freedom looks like. And so here's, here's, here's how this works. We don't neglect all of what a guardian would teach us as children, right? Like as a child, you have this guardian here, like in our context, we're not so much subbing out that as much, um, but like <laughs> you teach your kids, like my kid knows, like he cannot eat whatever he wants for breakfast because that would be Sour Patch. And so like he's gonna, he's gonna experience that as like oppression, like, you know, like I, with tears. But why? And all this stuff, I'll brush my teeth and everything else. Like he'll, but I know, like, I cannot give him that freedom because it's not good for him. And so when he grows up and he learns, like, oh, that's what a cavity is, and that hurts, and like all this stuff, and he matures into freedom when he leaves my house and he can eat Sour Patch for breakfast if he wants to, isn't the hope that he would now have grown and realize, like, that was a good rule? <laughs> Even though my guardian is not here anymore, I know how to operate. And so we must see like what is actually behind the law that's showing us our sin and yet showing us what real freedom is and yet not take that to a point where Paul is saying like, no, 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 you don't tack these things on saying like this is necessary for salvation to be the people of God. You're actually free. But we relate rightly to it and see what is the heart of God in this. We no longer view the law for our sake, my salvation, but for his sake for his glory, as an expression of his holiness. And now, how can I, as someone he has called holy, be holy? But I'm free. So what I want you to see in this, like if, if, if the law is like overwhelmingly showing us, like your salvation must come from outside of you, you're broken. We, we've said this before repeatedly, but like, like an x-ray machine. It's broke, but it can't do anything to fix it. It shows me I need something beyond myself. And that's actually not bad news to us. That's beautiful. And so as we relate to the law now, and we become more aware of the sin that is enslaving us, and how we're actually free in Christ, he has freed us from that. And so live like freed men and women. I want you to see the beauty of that. And so I want to I share a story with you. Um, there's, a, there's a point in the Gospels when, when Jesus has been traveling around and he's become quite well known at this point. And um, so a lot of people want an audience with Jesus. A lot of people want to spend time with him and he's known for going into the homes of sinners and all these like people that you would typically not want anything to do with if you were trying to be holy in your own eyes or the eyes of others. 
And so there comes a point when a Pharisee, someone who's really good at keeping the law and wants to study that and all this stuff, it's like, I, I would like an audience with Jesus. And so he invites Jesus into his home. This guy's name is Simon. Simon invites Jesus into his home. And so they're all at this table and, and sharing a meal. And um, what would happen in, in a context like that, that would be a public event. Even though it's in a private home, the community would be welcomed in. Like there's a rabbi here. These are the Pharisees. This is something that like you can have other people come in. You know that you don't have a place at the table, but you can come in on the margins. And so the door's open. And this woman of the city comes in. The scripture says she's a woman of the city and she's a sinner. That's a really nice way for saying that she does something that um, we won't speak of with kids in the room. She's known for that. She has a reputation. She comes in, and Jesus is there at the table talking with these guys, and she gets behind Jesus at his feet, and she just starts sobbing. I can imagine like how uncomfortable the room is. It's like, hey, what's going on over there? Like, you all right, lady? And she's just crying hysterically, and her tears are wet, wetting the feet of Jesus. And this lady, who's known for being in the business of looking good so that she can use her body to make profit, takes her hair and starts to wipe the filth off of Jesus' feet with her hair and tears. And she's brought in this alabaster jar and it's full of perfume, which is really expensive then. It takes a long time to make perfume and it costs a lot and think of her occupation. Nobody wants that if she smells bad. She needs this. Her livelihood is literally purchasing this and dependent on this. And here she is crying hysterically, wiping filth off of Jesus' feet with her hair. She breaks this jar open and pours the perfume on Jesus' feet and she just keeps mopping it up with her hair. And everyone in the room is like, this is so uncomfortable. Simon, this Pharisee, he's looking there and he's scowling. He's looking at this woman and he's looking at Jesus and he's like, he's thinking in his head, he's not a prophet. If he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is, this sinner, and he would not let her touch him. I wouldn't let her touch me. There's no way this guy's a prophet. And Jesus, being the true and greater prophet, knows exactly what he's thinking. And he turns and he looks at him. So you imagine the room is all like doing this awkward, like, ah, like, look at her, don't look at her. And Jesus locks eyes with Simon. He's like, Simon, let me tell you a story. There's this guy who's got quite a bit of money, and he loans money out. And one guy owes 50 denarii. It's like 50 days' wages. There's another guy who owes 500. 500 days' wages to this guy. Both of them are kind of in a hard spot. Like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to pay this. Like, I'm so sorry. The bill has come. It's overdue. Like, I'm going to get turned over to collections. Like, this is just not good. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose everything. This, this is awful. But the guy who owns the loans, the guy who has owed the money, looks at both of them and is like, it's cool. You're free. Well, I'll cover it personally. You don't owe me anything. What? 50 days wages, I don't have to pay you back? Yeah, it's cool. And the other guy, 
500 days wages, I don't have to pay you back. Yeah, you're good. Enjoy. Be free. You don't owe me anything. And Jesus looks back at Simon. Simon, which one will love the lender more? And Simon responds, I suppose the one he forgave more. And Jesus nods his head. Yeah. I can just imagine him averting his eyes back to her. You're right. As it all clicks for Simon. <laughs> so self-righteous. To think, oh, I wouldn't let her touch me. And Jesus presses over. He's like, I came into your house. You didn't offer to wash my feet. You didn't even have water available to wash my feet. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil. And yet here she is with perfume on my feet and tears. And she's kissing my feet. And you didn't even kiss me. You didn't greet me in any beautiful way. And yet here's this woman, this wretched woman of the city who knows her sin. She's painfully aware of her sin. And yet she sees me and she loves me. And yet you who is so good, you're so good at keeping rules, right? And you think so highly of yourself. And yet you want to do nothing with me. But invite me in to try to trip me up and judge me. Who loves me more? This is the invitation for us. This is what the law does for us. See how wretched you are. Look into the law and see just how broken we are in and of ourselves. Because when your sin is great, your Savior is greater. The more you see how dark you are, how wretched you are, how far gone you are, the more you see the magnitude of a majestic God who would come running in and say, you're mine, I love you. And you say, I just want to cry. I want to wipe your feet with my hair. I want to give you everything I've got because I'm actually free. This is the beauty of the law, to see the beauty of our God and how he loves us. And to know the heart of that and that frees us to actually know what is it, beloved, what are we going to do? Let us love one another. Oh, it's so much easier to think I'm better at doing this than others. So much easier to get frustrated with others when they don't perform how I want them to. And yet everything about the gospel stands as a Jesus, the son of God, who died on a cross and says things like, hey, take up your cross every day. Follow me. Outdo each other in showing honor. When they take from you, give even more. This is how we change the world. It's not by growing frustrated with each other and assessing how good we are and how bad they are or anything else because that's us being Simon. <laughs> Man. And Jesus says, no, 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 remember the gospel. I freed you. Live in that freedom. Live in the love and delight of our God. Because when your sin is great, your Savior is greater. I hope that today you are broken. I'm praying desperately that the Spirit will just absolutely wreck your heart over your sin and mine. But when he does that, I hope you know that he does that in kindness and love. He disciplines us as children. Like, oh, you're my son. Act like my son. You're my daughter. Act like my daughter. Be like that woman of the city. So everyone else will say, yeah, nothing for you. Yeah, you need to get out of here. And yet Jesus says, no, you're right where you need to be. Or in the language of Psalm 34, 18, 
The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He's near the brokenhearted and he saves those crushed in spirit. That is God's heart. To press in. Isn't that where you want to be? So see your sin. See that it is great. And see that your Savior is greater. Will you pray with me? God, thank you that you're a God that none of us could conjure up. You go above and beyond what our imagination could ever dream of. And it it truly is amazing that you relate to us in grace. God, that our sin is deserving of wrath, and yet because of your mercy, you decided that you would have this plan from before we were even created, that you would show us how glorious you are and how much you love us, that you would die in our place. That's amazing. It really doesn't even make sense, but it's so beautiful. I thank you, God. So please, would you make us a church that's like that woman, to be mindful of our sin, to be painfully aware of how much we don't deserve you, but then love you and trust you and have the confidence to run and lay at your feet and cry on your feet and give you everything we have because you gave us your very life. Knowing that we don't deserve to be here and yet you want us here, that we belong because of you, you who know us, you who love us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jesus. Amen.